summertime rolls on here on the Final Score Podcast. To welcome in everyone, Greg Swatek and the Frederick News Post Sports Department here with you. Uh, very much looking forward to this week's episode because uh, we'll have Joe Oliver, uh, the manager of the Frederick Keys, on in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Joe has been managing, I believe, since 2012 in the minors. Uh, he managed the Salem Red Sox of the Carolina League, so he's familiar with Frederick because uh, Salem often uh, came to Nimeo Field at Harry Grove Stadium to play the Keys. So uh, Joe's familiar with the market. And I also want to ask him about his uh, major league career. Uh, a member of the uh, 1990 World Series champion Cincinnati Reds. Uh, he, was, he was the catcher on that team, so he's got lots of great stories and memories from that, as well as a, as a pretty long big league career. He, he played for a bunch of different teams, so uh, look forward to talking to uh, Joe Oliver about his uh, background as a major leaguer and, and uh, just this Keys team and this Keys season here as they uh, are, are doing their second le- second season in the MLB uh, draft league, but um, it is a baseball time of year, and the perfect man to talk to when it is a baseball time of year is my colleague here at the News Post, uh, Alexander Dacey. We were just going over some of our baseball uh, war stories. <laughs> uh, for me, who's a little older, it's like the uh, 97 Indians as, as a Cleveland Indians fan, now a Cleveland Guardians fan, and that was one of the searing uh, – soul-sucking memories of my uh, sports fandom was, was losing that um, 97 World Series with their lights-out closer, Jose Mesa, on the mound and the lead in the seventh inning of that game. And and, and you as a Nats fan, we were going over some of their <laughs> recent horror stories uh, in 2012 and in 2000. What, what was the Giants? 2014. 2014. Uh, now, now you got your World Series. Yeah. Unlike the Indians uh, slash Guardians who have been – waiting uh since the since the 50s to win one uh you got yours but you had to pay the price uh to get it um what what are some of your earliest baseball memories uh, of your of your fandom so as a fan i really don't have any solid memories before 2005 um i was i guess because there was no team in dc i was like kind of vaguely a baltimore orioles fan and like but I, I, I didn't really feel fully – I didn't really know all the players. I wasn't fully kind of processing it. I don't really have any memories of going to games before, like, when I was five, before I was five, you know, when the Nats moved to town. Um, but the, the two distinct memories I have, I think this one was probably about – the first one was probably about 2000 – it was around 04, 05. Um, so the timeline might be a little bit off. It might not be perfectly chronological. But uh, I remember for a while my earliest favorite player uh, was not a Washington National or a Baltimore Oriole, but it was a Texas Ranger uh, by the name of Mark Teixeira. Um, from from Maryland. From Maryland, who I, which I lear- only learned later when I got his baseball card, and it was oh, like, no, it was, uh, oh no, kidding, Teixeira, You just like Teixeira? You, I, you didn't so do, because do you want to you want to yeah. know why? Yeah, sure. It was because when I would watch highlights on MLB.com and then on like Sports Center um, in the morning, uh, he was always hitting home runs, and he was all, and this was like when he was kind of first breaking out in the like mid two thousands, um, and. I was very wowed by all the home runs he was hitting. Uh, and I, I, I don't remember one specific one standing out, but I remembered every time 
he would hit one, the like camera would pan to like the fireworks going off over the stadium. And it like, and as someone, I hated fireworks growing up, and I still, I think they look cool, but I'm still not a huge fan of like the, the loud noises and, and, and all that. But it just mesmerized me as like a, as like a five year old being like, wow, this guy's just like, he's hitting so many home runs. They're like, so they're, they're clearly celebrating him. Like he must be really good. So for a while, he was one of my favorite players. That kind of tailed off, and then when he went to the Yankees, I kind of stopped caring. Yeah, but when you <laughs> but, found out the chair was from Maryland, was it like your mind? Blown? Yeah, it was kind of like whoa, and because the back because the back of the baseball card, it, it's it's like hometown, Severna Park, Maryland, and I'm like, no way, this guy that I like randomly decided to be a fan of is is fr- is from like 45 minutes away from where I was living. Um, it was just that natural connection. You were you were drawn to him. Uh, exactly. Uh, through, yeah. Through some spiritual force. Exactly. Yeah. But I think really the, the the main one that sticks in my mind. I think I when I I think when I first came on the podcast, I briefly talked about this. Was I was at the first ever Nats home game back in April of '05 against the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. So I that one I remember. And how old were you at the time? I, I had just turned five. I was like okay. five in a couple couple weeks. My birthday's at the uh, end of March. Yeah. Um, so, so this was like a really cool wide-eyed experience yes. for you. And yeah. so I didn't remember like – I just remembered in my, in my brain right now, I remember that the Nats were coming to town. And like I – and I distinctly remember not knowing much other than that we're finally getting a baseball team. Like we're, we're finally getting – like the Montreal, like the Montreal team is moving to DC. We're the Washington. Like I have a team to root for now. It's the Washington Nationals, and little like four or five year old me for a few weeks running in like, I'm assuming this is probably like March or so of '05. Every day my dad would drive home from work, and every day I would like little five year old, four or five year old me would run out to him and say, "Hi, Dad. Did you get Nationals tickets yet?" Yeah. Hi, Dad. Did you get Nationals tickets yet? And eventually it was no. It was like, no, not yet. No, not yet. No, not yet. And finally, one day he was like, yes. And I was very happy. And we went to the game. We was like, there were like, like ten dollar tickets to like the towards the very top of RFK Stadium. But and you and you didn't care that RFK wasn't the best. No. Well, I I I never been to RFK before. I don't think I I don't think I'd ever been to. I don't actually think. I think honestly, now that I think about it, I don't think I'd ever been to a sport like a DC sporting event. Prior to that, because the only games I, I like, I think I ever like professional games I ever really went to before then were there, like we'd go to a handful of Orioles games. But again, I I just have no memory of that. Um, did you bring a glove? Like, were you the kid that you were going to catch a foul ball? So did you bring a glove? I don't think I did for that game because we were st- we were just so high up and it was so crowded that we were like kind of whatever. But. In in other in other in other games, I would bring my glove. Um, now I now I don't now I don't usually bring my glove, but I also am older and know how to know how know how to catch a ball on the fly. So hey, having my baseball training, so right. Have you ever gotten a foul ball at a game? I have never gotten a foul ball at a game. the The only so the only two times I've gotten a ball from a game were. In 2007, at an at an Orioles, funny enough, it was an Orioles Rangers game at Camden Yards. We were sitting front row, right field line, and they were like my dad's work. My dad's work had these tickets. They were so like we were, there's not tickets we would normally like you know spend money for, but they had these tickets, and so we were like, yeah, sure, we'll go up. It's like a it's like a random summer night. Um, uh, 
This is uh, oh for okay. I remember the game for context. This was the day before the Orioles allowed thirty runs. Oh my god! The Rangers. Um, I'm sure that I just gave or some Orioles fans PTSD. But it was this was the game. This is the game the day before. Um, it's like middle of the game. Aubrey Huff of all people is batting, and he hits a line drive foul ball that is coming right at my head. Oh my god! So my dad and I duck. And it like where were you sitting? We were sitting. We were like about halfway down the right field line. Okay. Um, in line drive territory. In line drive territory. And this is before. This is like obviously way before they put the netting. You know, extended the netting all right. the way down there. And so we just we duck, and it probably only missed me by like a few feet and maybe like a couple seconds. Now that would have been a story. Your first foul ball smashes through your forehead. Or well, something like that. so he- here's the thing though. It hit someone behind us, a couple rows behind us, and that person needed like some serious medical attention. Like they, like I remember one of the, one of the Rangers outfield, like the Rangers right fielder. I don't remember who it was, but he was like looking over, and, get, like, get, check, get some help. Yeah, he had to get some help, and they like they 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 carried him off, and he like gave a thumbs up. He he ended up being. Please tell know. me he got. Please tell me he got the ball. So, do you yeah. want to know who ended up with the ball? You did. I did. And it was because the ball had hit him and it had rolled back onto the field. And the, like, security guard who was right in front was so, just saw me as, like, a little kid and was like, oh, here you go. Here's a baseball. What a, what a cold-hearted little kid you were. So and I was some getting stretchered and, out of the I, Oriole game and you don't even give him the ball. Exactly. So here's the thing. So as a – I don't think I had fully, like, put together – that the ball I had been get like right at the time, I don't think I had fully put together that the ball I had been given was the ball that had hit the fan a couple rows behind me, um, because I just because not I think it took me a couple days to realize oh wait there was like not another foul ball in that time so and like it had to be that one because there because otherwise why would like why would so and I didn't see the ball go back on the field but. That was my deduction. So, yes, I was a cold-hearted little seven-year-old. <laughs> so, so your foul ball story is pretty tainted there. Yes, and then the other one is not a foul ball. I was at a Nats-Rockies game in 2016. I went I went super early with one of my friends, um, and, and a, a Rockies reliever threw me a, some some unknown Rockies reliever. I think he was injured because he wasn't, like, wearing any – any like identify you know identifying right sort of um, gear, but I, I've I've he, got he he tossed me a ball. So yeah, those are the only two I have. <laughs> I, I've gotten some foul balls, but never one that I actually got at a game. Someone like got a foul ball at a game and then gave it to me uh, sub- subsequently, or um, I've never actually gotten a foul ball at a game. But I yeah. but I have a couple of foul balls. I th- I think they're buried in my uh, sports uh, box somewhere with my gloves and some of my old uh, sports gear. So. Um, so I do have a couple of balls. I, w- I was curious because I want I, you're you're a fan of all sports, like yeah. like we all are here. But baseball is your 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 big passion, yes. and I was curious what made baseball your big passion. I, was it just some of these events and going to games as kids? What, what was the hook for you in baseball? So, basically, you you played, but what was the hook for baseball? Yeah, you? honestly, it, it's kind of I kind of don't know if I have like a super clear or great answer i mean again i played since i was in some capacity since i was like three yeah and i really really loved playing the game and i i was able to sort of like understand it and latch on to it super quickly um so i think that may have been part of it was like it was like my first i guess exposure to playing a sport 
and I was able to kind of get, you know, I, I understood it really well at a very young age. So that helped. Getting the Nats in was obviously a big deal because it was like I was starting from the ground up. So it wasn't like I, I was coming, you know, I was coming into something that already existed. I kind of, yeah, I, I grew up with the team basically. So that definitely helped. Um, and then also I was, a, I'm a, I've always been a big like stats guy, big like, yeah. numbers guy. And, and no other sport lends itself to and, stats and like nothing, baseball. Yeah. Nothing does that like baseball. And so... And so it was great for that. Like when I like when I played, I was I was that kid who would like keep track of everybody's stats. Like even though if I'm playing the game, I probably should be. Like, you know, did, did, did you like clip box scores out of the paper and stuff like that? Or? So I I was not a clip box scores out of the paper guy. I was a um, I was a like make spreadsheets kind of guy. Okay. So I would go down on our. Before is before I before I had a, like a laptop of my own, I would go down to like our shared family computer. We had like old Excel, like two thousand three, downloaded on there. When did you learn how to use Excel? I I kind of learned by myself. I kind of taught myself just figuring it out. So I think like just keeping track of baseball stats, probably. keeping track of yeah. some baseball stats and other stats, and kind of just or kind of organizing things. I I don't know when exactly, but it was definitely when I was like in elementary school like i kind of figured out how to use it yeah um obviously i didn't know all the like super fancy functions till like later right. in high school and then college but you know like and so obviously now i know how to use excel way better than i did when obviously when i was like you know six or seven but i would i had i had spreadsheets and i would like you know i would like track these little stats and i would sometimes you know hand write it down or the other thing i'd like to do is i would save i wouldn't clip box scores but there's like an important like thing that happened you would make note of it i would make note of it or like i would save the entire sports section of the paper it wasn't uh just, just for the nats or for other for like all, all teams eventually it became all teams that for a while it was the nats and the one i still most often save are nats um uh nats like sections if something right. big happens um not that not that there's really been much to save since like 2019 but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get right. to, we'll get to that in a second. But did right. you did you play other sports besides baseball or just baseball? I it was mainly baseball. I tried one fall season of rec soccer. I did not know what I was doing, and I I, I mean it was rec. It was I was in second grade, so everybody played, and I don't think I scored. I I, I think I was I was just kind of running around out there. I didn't really know what I was doing, right. and I didn't fully gravitate towards it. So I did that, and then I did a. I did a year of like a winter of rec basketball in like sixth grade. Again, I was not. Again, it was rec ball, so everybody played, but I was not not very good. I I scored. I remember I scored two points all year, and it was in the very last game against a team that I'm pretty sure we shut out because that team was very bad. Right. Um. And so at some point, at some point, I was just like, I was just just like kind of hucking up like. Like I was getting a bunch of rebounds because I I don't have I don't have, I still don't really have a very good outside shot when I just play casually but I'm more of like a clean up the rebound kind of get kind of guy so eventually at some at some point all one of the rebounds I cleaned up I just I was able to put back but yeah I, they were I was kind of like I don't have nearly as much enjoyment doing this as I do playing baseball yeah so so the so, fact that you were decent at baseball yeah. and all these great childhood memories and just your fascination with the game that made baseball your sport Base, much. basically yeah. and then I and the other thing that was big was I'm also not like I'm not like a super crazy like card collector but I have a like a 
pretty big like binder of baseball cards. And I'm not one of those people who like. Please tell me you talked to John about his. So I, I I have talked to him about it. I'm not at that level where I'm like looking for rarities or like shelling out a whole bunch of money for stuff. Right. Um. But I have a you know when I was young I we got. You know, we get cards and like you go to Nats games. They, they did it have like the stale gum in them still? Or no, no. The um, when you go to Nats games, they used to give you like a free like little program that was just for the series. And in there, they used to have like little like Nats baseball cards. So I cl- I have a ton of just like random old Nats from like 10, 15 years ago. I have, um, you know, but again, a bunch of just sort of players. I think my something someone in my family got me like a big kind of starter like box of baseball cards and all old players from like the the 80s and 90s that I some of them I don't know some of them I do but yeah so I that that also helped because I you know I I I collected that and I I haven't collected new cards as much recently but I should I should should probably get back into it because it it is cool Uh, I, I covered the opening of Nats uh, Stadium for the paper here mm-hmm. and, and got to go to the first game at Nats Park with uh, George W. Bush throwing out the throwing out the first pitch. He, um, uh, he also threw out the first pitch at the uh, RFK um, at, at RFK in yeah. uh, 05. I that one I that one I only know from like right. I don't remember. Yeah, that you had to walk. Yeah, I had to walk through a metal detector. The Secret Service was all oh over the first game at Nats Park, and you had to walk through. Fans had to walk through metal detectors because mm-hmm. the president of the United States is is is, yeah. is, is at the game. So, um, so yeah, that's my only big Nats story. Is I got to go to the first game at Nats Park and stuff like that. So you sir are a, are a glutton for punishment because you've already been to a bunch of Nats games this year. Uh, you're going to. I understand why you're going next Saturday because it's or, or excuse me, this coming Saturday because yeah. it's Ryan Zimmerman uh, retirement mm-hmm. uh, day. But then you're uh, taking a little field trip uh, next weekend too. I am taking a little field trip down to down to the uh, city of Dallas, Texas. Um, one of my one of my good friends uh, is is from Dallas, uh, and we had planned back in 2020. Uh, the Nats had a series had a series against the Rangers down there, so we had planned that. All right, I get to like go visit him in Texas, catch a game or catch a game or two, just have like a good weekend. Uh, as you can probably figure out, that did not happen. Um, and now the Nats are going back to Texas next weekend, and so I'll be heading down for a long for a long three day weekend to catch two Nats Rangers games. Which would bring my uh, Nats game uh, total this season up to five. Are you are, are you proud of that total? I in in a way yes, but I'm also like I don't know if I could do more than five <laughs> at this point because they are they are like, and we were just talking about this. It's not even that they're just bad; they're like cartoonishly bad. Like the 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 what like the stuff that things but the, are. But they're not as bad as they need to be. Though. No, and that's the thing is like they're bad. But they're also right now maybe the fifth worst team in the majors. Uh, it'll get them a really good player, but you want like that first overall yeah, pick. And yeah, and like I mean, the only times the Nats have had a first overall pick, we got Strasburg and Harper. And I mean, say what you will about Strasburg's injuries, but like when he was healthy, he's fantastic. Yeah, and, the, and the, he, the the brief times he's he's been great. And, yeah. and and he was, I mean, our most dominant player in the in in our World Series run. So it's like, you know, I. I mean, I pick, pick, as annoying as the contract is now, it was it was worth the number one overall pick. And then obviously Harper was fantastic. 
um, and is still yeah. fantastic. So, so, so you're saying if you're going to be this bad yeah. and you're going to make me watch this drag, at least be so bad that there's actually some benefit to being right. this bad. And and it's not like, you know, getting a, a, num- a number five pick is like still, fa- I mean, it's still great. Yeah, you'll get a really you know, good player. You'll, right. you'll, you'll still get a great player. Like the Nats got, um, in 2011, they got Rendon sixth overall. So right. It's, so you're right in that range. They're yeah. they're they're you know it's not it's not like it's it'll anybody there will be a complete bust. They'll probably be a pretty decent player, but man, would it have been nice? Would it be nice to be worse to get the number one overall pick? I'm curious what your final game total will be for the 2022 season. Oh, my final game total. Like, my, like you're going up to five, and we're not even at the halfway. Yeah. Point so yet. for MLB, it's. It'll probably end up being around like five. I can't. I can't imagine. You, you, you're tapping out after this. Yeah, I can't or... imagine unless like unless one of my, unless like I have a friend coming or something where I and I need to and, and they want to like go to a game, then I'm then I may like take a Saturday. But yeah, at this point and like like I I, I told you this like after the the Ryan Zimmerman weekend this weekend, there's really no point. In. Can you even watch them on TV, or are you not even bothering watching I, well, them on so TV? Well, so I'm not a huge – so the answer is no, but I was always never a big watch on TV guy. I'm always – I still prefer to listen to the game on the radio. Oh, very cool, um, yeah. The, the exception is playoffs. I if, if I can – if I can – get you know you know watch the game on tv for playoffs i will but for like a right random regular season game i'm not trying to listen to it on the radio but i have even, i have not even been doing that as much because i'm like there's no point they're they're losing all these games like nine to nine to three or whatever right so yeah they were getting roughed up by the braves uh the other night when we were watching yeah so it's one it's one nothing right now they're losing but at least it's only one nothing <laughs> <laughs> could, could be worse could be worse All right, sir. Well, thanks for coming on. And when we come back, we'll talk more baseball with uh, Joe Oliver. Uh, Looking forward to this chat. He's the manager of the Frederick Keys, former major leaguer, won a World Series in 1990. So we'll get some great stories from Joe in just a second. Stay with us here on The Final Score. can't say we've ever had a World Series champion on the podcast until now, uh, but Joe Oliver was a catcher for the Cincinnati Reds when they swept the Oakland Athletics in the 1990 World Series. He played for seven major league teams over the course of his 19-year professional career, and after a 13-year absence, he became a manager in the minor leagues and currently manages the Frederick Keys in their second season in the Major League Baseball Draft League. And Joe joins us now. Uh, Joe, what did you do in your time away from baseball? Well, <clears throat> when I stepped away, it was uh, something that I promised my wife that uh, I would be there raising our kids. We had four kids at the time, and and uh, they were all at home. And you know, it's a it's a tough lifestyle for for wives. Uh, they're basically single moms for the baseball season. You know, the, the, the you know we're there on home stands, and but then again, we're not because we're typically going to the ballpark. So it's a big deal uh, for the, for the uh, wives to, to raise the families on their own. So I promised her that I would be there and, and uh, uh, when the time was right, try to get back into baseball. Yes. So the break was necessary for your family and your wife, but was also the break necessary for you as well. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I stayed active in baseball. I, I developed uh, my own, created my own, uh, uh, baseball Academy and did that for a few years. And, uh, 
then got back into high school athletics as my my kids got older and uh, was a coach, high school coach at a um, Christian school uh, in Orlando and and then moved on to uh, Bishop Moore, which is a big Catholic school there in uh, Orlando for a season. And then it was just time that I felt was uh, appropriate for me to get back into uh, uh, pro ball again. And that's when I started pursuing getting back in the game. Yeah, I was going to ask, what made you want to get into managing? Um, it's something I always wanted to do. And it was something that I felt like I was really doing as a player anyway. I mean, you know, when you catch, you typically you're game planning and you're preparing for what may happen through the course of the ball game with what's on the bench for the other team and what do you have in the bullpen. So you're kind of um, in that uh, managerial role by default. So uh, it was kind of a natural transition for me. One of the teams you managed was the uh, Salem Red Sox of the Carolina League, and that, and that gave you some familiarity with Frederick. Uh, what do you think of Frederick as a, as a little baseball town here? You know, I, I was in Salem. I was fortunate to be there for three years and uh, really enjoyed being in the Carolina League. And um, when the opportunity presented itself to uh, take this position here, I was very familiar with Frederick and really liked the area and liked the town. And um, it, it just was something that was an easy transition for me because I knew what to expect coming here. It was a really good, loyal fan base and and a nice ballpark and uh you know, a great place to take over. Yeah, you were born in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, but you, you went to high school in Orlando. Did the, did the family just move uh, over the course of your childhood, or how did you wind up in Orlando? Yeah, my dad was an insurance uh, salesman, and he had an opportunity to uh, um, get a franchise of his own. And so we moved to Orlando, and I've been there since 1975. So I don't remember much about Memphis, but, uh, um, you know, it, it's Florida's home. You went to Boone High School in Orlando, and one of your teammates, you, you it, it was arguable you weren't even the best catcher on the uh, Boone <laughs> High School baseball team because one of your teammates uh, was, was Ron Karkovice, uh, uh the former major leaguer. I mean, what are the odds of two major league catchers playing for the same high school? Well, it was pretty uh, pretty fortunate for me, and uh, you know something that that people forget and they don't they don't really see was John Hart. Uh, was our high school coach. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah, he worked his way up so uh, through the Orioles system as well and then went on to Cleveland and and uh, Texas and, and Atlanta. But Carcavice uh, would pitch uh, every Wednesday when we played, and that was how I got exposed uh, to scouts. They were coming to watch Ronnie uh, catch, and then they would find out that I was catching, and they were wanting to see him behind the plate. But uh, he was pitching once a week, so I got my exposure that way. And I give John and Ronnie a lot of credit for helping me develop and, and uh, become a major league player. Yeah, uh, before we get into the current season you're dealing with and, and, and your team this year with the Keys, uh, just, just set the scene for me. I mean, it's the fall of 1990 at old uh, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Uh, the score is 4-4. Four to four. It's in the 10th inning of Game 2 of the World Series. Uh your teammate Billy Bates uh, reached on an infield single. Another one of your teammates, uh, Chris Sabo, singled to left to move him to second. And then uh, your name is called over over the stadium loudspeaker, and, and you're coming up to face uh, the A's Hall of Fame closer, uh, Dennis Eckersley. Uh, what, what was going through your head at that point? Well, I had an opportunity in the eighth inning off a of Rick Honeycutt to uh, drive in a run and 
I grounded out the third base. So um, we were in a situation where uh, Tom Browning's wife had gone into labor and he was the game three starter. And we were staring at going into deeper extra innings and they were trying to find Tom and he had taken off to the hospital and they put a plea out over the uh, broadcast and also over the radio trying to get Tom to come back. And I didn't know that at the point in time, but found out that afterwards, but uh, I'm walking up to the plate and have had no history uh, facing Dennis Eckersley. And, uh, but only seeing him for the past couple of years, pitching and dominating in the major leagues and the best closer of all time uh, at that point in time. And, um, just wanted to find a, uh, decent pitch to hit. And, uh, I took the first pitch and it was a backup slider inside that I was mad. I didn't hit it because typically I'm a very aggressive hitter early in the count. And, uh, I said, well, he showed me what he wants to do with the breaking ball. And, uh, I was looking for another breaking ball again. And, uh, fortunate for me, he threw another backup slider and I was able to, um, hit it down the third baseline. And, as the ball was rolling through the air, you have one of those surreal moments where it just seems like time kind of stands still and you can kind of picture and see the seams rotating and, and going through the air. And then I see it hit half fair, half foul, and you only need half fair. And uh, Randy Marsh um, signaling fair ball. And it was just the loudest eruption and scream I'd ever heard in my life. And you know, if that's what I'm remembered for in Cincinnati the rest of my life, I'll be happy to carry that torch. Yeah, well, what was going through your head uh, in the moment? I mean, just what was that moment like for you to, to win a World Series game? At, in disbelief, you know, it, it just, you always believe you're going to do that. and you, you play those games in the backyard as a kid growing up where you're coming up, and I got to live that moment, you know, and, and, and uh just to sit there and cherish that and look back on it. Every time I see the video, it, it just gives me chills and takes me right back to still not believing that it happened. I mean, you're talking, you know, a world series game walk off and off of one of the best relievers in, in the history of the game. And very fortunate that I had that situation and, and uh, came through. What, what made that nineties, that 1990 Reds team so special? I think the adversity that we went through later in the year, uh, we got off to such a hot start and pretty much we, we were on cruise control the rest of the season until kind of August hit. We started having guys get hurt. Um, and then some of the role guys were able to come in and get at bats and build confidence. And we were showing that we had some, uh, some depth and it, it showed in the, in the playoffs in the world series when you had to put in Glenn Braggs to play and, Herm Winningham and, and Luis Quinones with a big pinch hit and Ron Oster with a big pinch hit. And, you know, all of these guys, and especially the bullpen with Scott Scudder and Jack Armstrong, and uh, these guys came through. Uh, we had the nasty boys on the back end. So we had a lot of confidence in that clubhouse. And, and uh, the, we were pretty fortunate that uh, we did get a lot of playing time for the guys that ironically – had to play some pretty big innings for us uh, down the stretch and in the in the National League play um, National League uh, Championship Series and in the World Series. So, I think it built the camaraderie and the trust throughout the whole uh, clubhouse, and we were a very tight group. And you know, it seems like when we get together for reunions and things, you, those stories and those 
those uh, things that happen throughout the season, they just pop right up. That's, you know, kind of the tight knit family we were. Uh, do, you, do you have any really good stories from that season that you could share? <laughs> well, I mean, we just, we just did things together. You know, we, we uh, would go to dinner together. We would hang out together. And, and it's, you know, I think it's really fortunate that we didn't have cell phones at that point in time uh, because we weren't just sitting there staring at our, at our iPhones and, and, uh, we were able to sit and get to know each other and we knew the family members and, you know, when somebody's parents were sick or wife wasn't feeling well, I mean, we, we just were a big caring family and, and uh, interacted with each other extremely well. Do you talk about that with your players of this current generation? Uh, hey guys, uh, put, put the phone down every once in a while and, and, and just it, chat and you, bond. You try to, you know, you try to, and it, it works for about five minutes and then it's, you know, they're back to, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everything else. And, you know, they're always constantly trying to update their status on what they're doing and where they are. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a shame. It's not only just in, in, you know, clubhouses across America or the world, it's, it's really society in general. I mean, if you look at a ball game, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, people are not sitting there enjoying the moment. They're trying to constantly record it or, um, you know, experience the emotions and experience the, the, the time out and uh, don't just sit there and also look at your phone and stare at your phone all day long, you know, enjoy it. You, you went to go, you went to a ball game, go enjoy it. What if there was Twitter and Instagram and Facebook back in 1990? Would you guys have gotten in some, some trouble? Uh, I'm just glad it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it just, you know, it's, it's whether things, things uh you know you go out with your friends and you have a good time or whatever but it's always somebody's trying to take a, po a picture and post something and and as innocent as it can be you know you can take certain pictures out of context of what's going on and you know it could be a fan that walks up and wants a photo with you and then the next thing you know they're trying to say that you're you know with this person so uh whether it's a female or whether it's a bad person you know i mean it just uh it can be not the truth. And, and it's really a shame that that's where we are right now, uh, instead of just being able to enjoy athletes and what they're able to do. But, but you do tell your guys to be careful with that stuff, right? That's pretty much my first or second, um, story that I, or, or thing that we talk about is be careful and aware of your surroundings and, you know, be, uh, pretty limited on what you allow people to take, um, pictures of and, you just know where you are, you know, and somebody's there's somebody out there that's trying to get something from you. Yeah, I, I mean, you guys played on that old AstroTurf at uh, Riverfront Stadium. I mean, it, did that make it hard to catch? I mean, because that, that added some bounce, not only to your hits, but, but, but probably to some of those pitches uh, coming in low, too. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, it, it was it was rough. I mean, I'm paying for it now, you know, had both of my knees replaced and and low back issues from it. And, um, it, it, you know, you, whatever you say for not having rainouts, I think it ultimately costs you with guys getting carpet burns and rug burns and twisted ankles. And, um, it just, it's not the ideal playing surface. And I know they've changed it to the sport turf now, but it just changes the way the game's played. Um, I enjoy the grass and the dirt where that could be that, um, you know, uh, a bad hop situation where it hits a, a maybe a cleat mark or something, and, and uh, you take that routine ground ball 
out of it that's on sport, sport turf all the time. So, uh, but uh, it was definitely a tough surface and especially in the heat in the summer months, you know, you're talking in the, the 130s to 150s and temperature on the field and it just, it'll drain you. Did you did you appreciate in that sense playing road games with on grass fields because you're like hi oh, get a break today almost yeah you do and and you know being a team that played on turf and I saw it a lot and I still see it today when I'm seeing guys that come out of college or high school that play on turf fields they're acclimated to a certain hop all the time and then when you get on on the natural surfaces it takes them a few days to get acclimated to how the ball responds and the ball bounces because it is a different uh, a different way uh, to play the game. And, you know, there's more topspin involved when balls are chopped and uh, backhands are not as predictable uh, on natural surfaces as, as they are on turf. So the defenders are definitely on the defensive, you know, when they come from turf to grass. Where are your World Series rings right now? Do you, do you, wear, <laughs> do you wear them every once in a while or? No, I don't. Um, I, you know, I, I leave it at home. It's actually a, one's in a box that I got for the Red Sox as, as a manager in the organization and, and the other one's in the drawer um, on my nightstand. I break it out every once in a while and, you know, show people and tell stories about it. But, uh, you know, I don't really wear it that much. I just I'm afraid that uh, somebody's going to try to steal it from me, you know, and I just I cherish it and. Um, I just want to have that safe and in, uh, in a good place. It, it's the perfect icebreaker. It, it, it parties you host, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's when you do wear it. People ask what it is, and it kind of opens up <laughs> things. So yeah. it's not only just oh, that's cool. Then then it becomes a big long dialogue. Yeah. Do you, do you have any good stories of playing for Marge uh, Shot, uh, the longtime Reds owner? <laughs> yeah, she was uh, she was different. She was eccentric and. And, uh, you know, we were coming back from Cincinnati after we had just won the World Series. And, uh, of course, you know, we're going to long-term parking, picking up our vehicles. And, and she's sitting beside me on the shuttle bus taking us to long-term parking. Was she, was she smoking? Uh, fortunately, she was not. Uh, I think she had been drinking the whole flight. So she probably wasn't really a priority to smoke at that point in time. But. You know, she was like, oh, honey, this was so exciting because she never remembered anybody's name. It was either honey or sweetie. And uh, this is so awesome, honey. I just wish we could have lost a couple of games in uh, Oakland and then uh, won it back here for the fans of Cincinnati. Oh, gosh. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You, you won. And I'm yeah. like, we lost Eric Davis. We lost Billy Hatcher to injury in, in, the, in game three and four and and uh or game four and it's just like now you're complaining that we won the world series are you kidding me you win it when you win it yeah exactly don't don't, <laughs> don't worry about how you do it so well was her dog everywhere was the dog always in the clubhouse and stuff yeah Shotzi was paraded around on the field every day and Shotzi would decide to relieve herself it seemed like always right around the home plate area. Of course. And the four grounds crew guys are over there having to use a pooper scooper to pick everything up. So I felt really bad for them. And, uh, you know, and, and Shotzi was wheeled around and paraded at, like she was a celebrity. So um, it, it was a little crazy. Um, but, you know, she's the owner of the team. So, you know, you got to kind of let her do what she wants to do and, and deal with it. 
How, how do you think Shotzi felt on the AstroTurf with all that fur oh. in the 150-degree heat index? Just cooking, you know, just cooking. <laughs> <laughs> After you left Cincinnati in 94, you had short stints in Milwaukee, Detroit, Seattle, Pittsburgh, uh, New York with the Yankees, uh, Boston. Uh, you returned to the Reds in 95, and then you had another stint with uh, the Mariners as well in Seattle. Well, was it hard bouncing around like that? Um, yeah, it was a little difficult. Um, you know, I thought I would find a, a landing spot and, you know, and sometimes when you're, um, uh, trying to fight your way onto rosters and, and make your, make your way and make a new path into organizations, uh, you, you kind of become expendable because they don't have that much invested in you. So, um, you know, when, when I went back to Cincinnati, I was hoping it was going to be my final landing spot for the rest of my career. And it just didn't work out. And, uh, then it was just to find teams that would take you on and accept that challenge of I'm going to be the backup guy for the rest of my career, probably. And then uh, when the opportunity presented itself, like it did a couple of times where time in Seattle, where I got to play quite a bit uh, and then go to the postseason again, it, it, uh, it, it made me stronger. You know, it made me appreciate um, some stability and it was a great time in Seattle and, um, I really enjoyed playing for Lou again. You know, he brought me to Seattle twice. Um, and just I, I got the most out of playing for him. And he, he, I think he got the most out of me that I could give him. Was there anything particularly memorable for you in any of those short stops? Any, any, any one of those cities that really, uh, that really um, meant, meant something to you? Or um, any great stories from your short uh, stops there? Well, I mean, in, in Seattle, it was a, a, a little different situation. Dan Wilson had gotten hurt and, and Tom Lampkin got hurt. And I was there on a minor league invite and, and then uh, worked my way onto the roster. And then when one of them got healthy, I got shipped out um, for a couple of weeks and then came back up and spent the rest of the time up there. But, but to go to the postseason and then start postseason games against the White Sox, um, and, and then uh, play at Yankee Stadium in the postseason. That was very special and memorable. Uh, you, you don't get many opportunities to play postseason games at Yankee Stadium, and, and uh, to do that was very memorable. And, you know, we, we thought we had a chance to take them to Game 7, and Dave Justice hit a home run off of Arthur Rhodes um, in the bottom of the eighth inning that put him ahead. And, you know, we – we're all excited and all of a sudden have your heart ripped out the last minute. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. You retired in 2001. Uh, how, how tough was it to walk away from the game you love? You know, it, I always tell people this. I said, I, I retired. I had a feeling, I guess I never really retired, but my body told me and, and I had opportunities to go back and play. 9-11 took a lot away from my desire to play. Um, and I knew I was towards the end of my career. I probably could have played another year or two, but it was just a lot of West Coast teams had interest in me, and I didn't want to, after 9-11, be on the other side of the country, separated from my wife and kids, um, and if something ever happened again, it would take me forever to get there, uh, to get home, and that really took a lot out of, I think, a lot of guys, uh, because the remainder of that season was kind of pointless and meaningless. Uh, if you weren't in the postseason and uh, you just you really were trying to find ways to be motivated and uh, it just my body started telling me, you know, it was time. And in my last game was 
actually at Camden Yards, and it was somebody else who got a little more uh, attention than I did uh, with Cal Ripken retiring the same day. So I, I was very lucky and fortunate I got to play in that game. And uh, I still remember it. it was one of my better games I ever played. I had three hits that day. And uh, um, to have Brady Anderson at the plate and Cal Ripken on deck, I see it like it was yesterday. And I was really hoping uh, somehow we could get Brady uh, uh, to walk and uh, and uh, get Cal up there one more time. But, uh, you know, he struck out and I could hear Cal telling him that that was the toughest at bat, a tough situation for him. And uh, I thought that was a classy move. Be honest, Joe, were you like, I can't believe this many people showed up to see my final game? Oh, and, and they didn't even know it. You know, <laughs> that's what was so disappointing. <laughs> If if you weren't a catcher, if you if you played first base or third base or even in the outfield, designated hitter now in 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 both leagues, how how much longer would your career have been? It would have probably been shorter. <laughs> no, no kidding, why? <laughs> I'm not a very good first baseman. I'm not a very good DH. No, so like get, I was lucky that I get this Oliver guy out out of there. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I was lucky I played in the American League for a little while, and I got some of those DH at bats and. You know, I, I, I fielded and played some games at first base and I played a couple of games in the outfield and I wouldn't have been very good at it just because of the boredom. You know, I, I was so used to being involved in every pitch and, and preparing for game plans and, and uh, being involved with the pitchers. I mean, it just it was a process that I couldn't replace playing any other position. All right. You're in this uh, you're managing in this Major League Baseball draft league now. What are your thoughts on the league? I think it's a really good uh, opportunity for these young men to uh, get some good exposure and competition uh, pre-draft. And, uh, you know, some of these guys are, are going to move on and have a professional career and some are going to go back to school and, and some are, you know, going to try to catch on and play independent ball. And uh, um, it, it just, it's a, I think it's a really good mix and a really good opportunity and exposure for these guys Um and I think it's good baseball that fans get to appreciate, um, you know, and, and uh, gives them a little taste of what it's like to play every day at the professional level um, if they so are able and lucky to uh, move on. Uh, I'm curious what the challenge is like is when the season starts, you're sort of jumping on a moving train here because you really there's really no preseason to speak of with these guys. You, you, you barely know their names, and, and then all of a sudden the season starts and you're asked to put a – uh, a, a winning team on the field. Just, just talk about the challenge, the unique challenges of, of of dealing with that. Well, it's, it's it's spreading the wealth and the playing time. I think is the most difficult thing because, you know, you're trying to put a winning product on the field, but you're also trying to remember development as a, the number one goal here, and and uh, you're trying to make sure that the uh, the at bats and the innings are spread across the board as best as you can. Uh, but not compromise uh, the quality of play and the chance to win. So, you know, we're trying to develop, but you're also trying to teach these guys how to win. Uh, but it's not win at all costs. It's, uh, you know, trying to get these these kids uh, challenged and, and show their their strengths and their weaknesses so they can get better and, and the scouts can evaluate it through some uh, tough times and better competition. Does the churn of the roster, I mean, I know you're used to this as a minor league manager because there's always roster churn, but does the churn of the roster, especially in this league, make it more difficult because once the draft comes next week, you're virtually going to have an entirely new team maybe uh, for, for the second half of the season? 
Yeah, you know, and this is a unique season that we're turning into a independent team um, the second half of the year. So, uh, but we still have some roster turnover. We've got guys reporting to the uh, ball club today. And, you know, we probably have to make a couple of uh, moves to open up some roster spots. And then a couple of days later, some other guys come in, you know, they sign 10-day temp contracts or they sign uh, full contracts. So it's it's a constant uh uh, juggling act. And, you know, fortunately it's an expanded roster of, of around 34 um, uh, players. And, and uh, if it was like in a minor league system, it would be like 24 to 26. So it would be much more difficult. Tell us why people should come see your team play this season. Well, uh, the way that we're playing right now, I, 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 you know, we're playing with a lot of passion and energy and, and, uh, you know, we got some guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. We got some guys that can uh, be impressive on the mound. And, you know, it's a very competitive uh, uh, group of guys in here that want to win. Uh, we got off to a really good start and hit a little stumble on the road. But, you know, anytime you can come back with a 500 road trip, I think you're uh, you're going to be in a good place. And we got off to a pretty good start in this homestand. And uh, you're just going to see guys that go out there and give you everything they got. And just because it's a summer league is not taking the passion uh, and the heart out of these guys. They're playing hard, and they want to win. Can you tell us a, a couple of players uh, to, keep, to keep our eyes on, a couple of players to watch? Well, um, one of the uh, Golden Spikes Award semifinalists, Kendall Yule. Uh, he's from Eastern Kentucky. Um, you know, and, and then you got uh, um, uh, Plastiac uh, from Kentucky, uh, Hunter Jump from Kentucky. Uh, all across the board, we're adding a couple of new players, Harold Cole and and Anthony Heron Jr., I believe he was in, in the league last year. Um, it, it just it's it's guys up and down the roster that are that are um, all over the country. So you're talking guys from Puerto Rico, from Dominican. Uh, we've added three Chinese players that are in the MLB development uh, program as well. They're young young kids, but uh, they're not intimidated with what's going on out there. And it's just building that relationship uh, internationally and. Uh, bringing the players over here to give them the opportunity to chase their uh, professional dream. Do you, do you share a special bond with, with the catchers uh, on the team? <laughs> of course I do. I mean, that's, that's my, you know, forte. And um, I kind of lean heavier to make sure that they're getting at bats and they're getting taken care of. And um, I try to DH the guys that aren't, that aren't catching that day, get, make sure they get at bats and they're not, not waiting too long in between starts. I mean, we have four catchers on the roster, so it's a it's a pretty strong juggling act to try to make sure that they're not uh, losing time and in losing reps. Right. And lastly, are you are you still enjoying the job as much as you've always as you always have? Well, if I didn't, I wouldn't be here. And anytime it became work, it's time to walk away. And you know, I've I've got a really good coaching staff with Angel Sanchez and Dennis uh, Rasmussen and and. Uh, uh, Marcus Smith and we've uh, really gone out here and, and taken this approach to help these kids every day and make it a, a fun and enjoyable environment uh, where it's not work and they don't they don't want to be here we want to be here and we want them to have a good time in the summer and then uh, what happens happens with their career from that point on. Well, hey, Joe, we wish you well uh, throughout the remainder of the season. Enjoy your time uh, here uh, in Frederick with the Keys. Uh, thanks for your time today, and, uh, and and we'll catch up with you soon, sir. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. Yep.
Uh, my thanks uh, to Joe Oliver, uh, manager of the Frederick Keys, and also to Alexander Dacey, uh, FNP Sports Writer, for coming on a little earlier to talk baseball. Uh, that is it for us this week here on The Final Score. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.